You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. If you listen to this podcast every single week, will you do me a giant favor and subscribe? I know a lot of you are not subscribed, and it would greatly help our numbers if you did. Also, every single podcast platform has a share link. Most of them are just three buttons somewhere in the bottom right-hand corner. If you listen every single week, if you like this stuff and you think it's useful, especially this episode that we're going to jump into, could like actually help your family, make them happier and healthier, help your friends, expose them to information that they absolutely need to know. Um, it would it would mean a lot to me. And also, um, you know, sort of make you an expert <laughs> amongst your friends. Uh, on today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Anthony J. I know that many of you have probably uh, already heard of Anthony J., uh, Dr. J. He wrote the book, the best-selling book, Estrogeneration. This episode is all about estrogen, estrogenic chemicals. Um, he is currently a researcher at the Mayo Clinic um, looking at stem cells, epigenetics, and infrared light. And he tells us how he got into this topic of estrogen, and we go deep into it. Um, I actually forgot to press record for the first like 10 or 15 minutes of this, and uh, it was the best content ever. You know, it was gold. It was it was absolutely groundbreaking information, but um, it's lost forever, and I don't remember it. But uh, so we dig right into this podcast. It happens right away, Doctor. Jay tends to speak uh, slowly a little bit. So if you're like me and you like listening to stuff quickly, you can listen to this at one and a half or um, one and a quarter speed. Uh, Amazing, amazing information. Um, What's in this episode? Why you should absolutely not eat soy products. Uh, What are the symptoms and health issues when you are exposed to estrogenic chemicals? Uh, Man boobs, infertility, uh, stubborn fat, deposits around your body. What is the connection between cannabis and estrogen? What is the connection between estrogen and breast cancer rates? Uh, what is the connection between estrogen and exposure to est- estrogenic chemicals uh, and depression? Um, basically, plastic is everywhere and plastic is terrible for you. Uh, linoleum, water bottles, um, products that you use in the shower every single day, you're, you're voluntarily exposing yourself to these chemicals that can totally screw with you and screw with your immunity, screw with your hormones. I mean, he tells at one point in this episode, talks about a nine-month-old who started into puberty, who began to go through puberty at nine months old because uh, they found that um, that lavender essential oils that they were diffusing in the home were basically expediting that process. Super scary stuff. This is not supposed to be doom and gloom, um, but it's just to give you information that will help you in your life. Um, Dr. J is also a funny, funny guy. He's got a great sense of humor. This is a really interesting um, podcast episode. And again, it's it's really my pleasure to bring this to you. If you want to know more about what I do as a performance coach and a life coach, go to seanmccormick.com. Check out my YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> Check out my YouTube channel, uh, which is called uh, Sean McCormick, and uh, follow me on Instagram at Real Sean McCormick, S E A N, and then McCormick, or Optimal Performance Podcast on Instagram. Um, just trying to grow this audience, trying to get his, this message to as many people as possible. And uh, I really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking it upon yourself to learn more about how can you can live a more optimal life. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Anthony J. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. Um, you see depression increase, right, with these chemicals because just think of postpartum depression. You know, like if you throw off your estrogen balance, um, it acts in your brain. You know, your brain has estrogen receptors. So there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Fertility, 
a lot of people are infertile and they're struggling with fertility and um, these chemicals clearly have been associated with fertility or infertility, especially in animals. You know, in animals, it's just crystal clear. In humans, it's harder to prove because we're all exposed to so many of these estrogen chemicals. And, and they act differently on different people because some people have better abilities to clear some of these chemicals, you know. But I wouldn't assume that of anybody. I would just avoid them and, and err on the safe side because for the most part, it, it takes years for the health issues to come out. And so, you know, why don't wait until they have the health issues. I say just avoid the chemicals. So, so the, the manifestation of the having too much estrogen or consuming too much estrogenic chemicals, mm-hmm. they may develop over a couple of years and then what what are a few ways that they may manifest what sort of symptoms come from that right um well it can take years it could take decades it could take the next generation um fat is one of the most common things like where you get these plateaus and fat loss because these these estrogen chemicals actually trigger your body to store fat um just like when a woman becomes pregnant, if her estrogen actually goes up in the thousands, so it's 20 to 200, but then when they when a woman becomes pregnant, the estrogen will go to, to the thousands. And there's a trigger there that her, her you know women's bodies store more fat when they're pregnant. It's just the way it is. And that's because our ancestors didn't always have access to food. So, um, you know, fat is a good thing. It's an efficient storage form for energy. And... Um, these artificial estrogen chemicals, they trigger that same process, right? Mm. So, you know, that's when a, a pretty um, common issue where you've got this stubborn fat, you can't get rid of it. And by the way, saunas, you know, are a great solution here other than, you know, just straight up avoiding these chemicals, which everybody should do, but you're always going to have a little bit of exposure here and there. Um, you actually sweat out more of these chemicals than you urinate out. They've done studies on BPA and phthalates. Huh. And they find you sweat more of them out than... Some people didn't have any of these chemicals in their urine, but when they sat in the sauna, they sweated them out. Um, they've done these... They do these skin patch studies. It's like a nicotine patch without the nicotine. And then they just put you in the sauna or have you not sit in the sauna, and then they take that patch off and measure the chemicals you're sweating out. Whoa. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. So saunas are just unbelievably effective in, you know, helping your body get rid of these chemicals. And so is exercise, sweating, you know, just increasing your metabolism. But but at the end of the day, you know, minimize the big exposures. You know, like I said, the drinking water, the personal care products, clean those up. Be careful with the sunscreen. Did you see the headlines this past year with the sunscreen? No, no. Which ones? Like I, I put a bunch of them on Instagram when they were coming out. But basically, the FDA finally did – so they've had these sunscreen chemicals like oxybenzone. They've been legal for like the last 20, 30 years. And they finally tested your exposure to these chemicals when you put sunscreen on. They literally haven't even done the study. Um, and they sh- – they sh- like the FDA's own person, like their own uh, chairman or whatever – He's like they were saying like we need to further pursue this because with one exposure they found your blood spiked with oxybenzone. Seven days later, it was still above the EPA and FDA's own recommended blood limits, like from one exposure to sunscreen. Whoa! So and that's like and and those those limits are based on like cancer studies and things, you know, which is like absurdly high levels. Because, you know, the, one of the problems, one of the reasons it took so long for us to figure out these chemicals are bad is because they don't kill cells, you know? Like if you put, if you have a dish of cells growing in a lab and you put BPA on there or you put oxybenzone in sunscreen or you put whatever, whichever one of these chemicals, atrazine, it doesn't kill the cells, right? Because it acts like estrogen. The cells are like, oh, I've seen this before. You know, it takes a lot, like a shit ton of this stuff to kill the cells. Um, so people think it's fine. Like regular toxicologists, um, they think there's no health issues because we're not killing the cells. And 
you know, eventually it will cause cancer in the cells and it'll kill the cells and cause DNA damage and things. So those levels are like obscenely high, right, to get to that level. And that's where they were finding the sunscreen. They were finding those sunscreen chemicals were at that level seven days after one application. And by the way, there's like three or four countries that are that have pledged to ban sunscreen. Hawaii made sunscreen illegal this year. A lot of it is because of, because of this information. Yeah, I'm pushing this information out. I'm working with a lot of people. I'm working with people from Australia. They've pledged by 2020 to ban it. Yeah. Um, well, and and not only is it not only is it harmful to people, but exactly you put it's on the wildlife. It's the yep. wildlife, and I know that that's a that you've you've you talk a lot about that, and you have mentioned right. that. I mean, think about. Think about all the hordes of tourists, myself included, who will be in Hawaii this February. Um, you put a bunch of sunscreen on and then you go snorkeling and all of that sunscreen wipes off you, yep. and goes into the, you know, goes into the coral and gets into the fish. Um, can you talk a little bit about how about how this is affecting, you know, the, our natural environment, too? Oh, for sure. I mean... Well, and they've done studies on polar bears way up in northern Alaska. They had 11 polar bears, and every single one of them had was like chock full of these estrogen chemicals. Um, they're just testing the fat, and it's because it gets in the water, it gets up the food chain, it gets in the fish. You know, things are eating the fish. Um, the seals, you know, ends up in their blubber. So it's it's a global issue, and it causes a lot of infertility and stuff. So we're wiping out certain populations of animals. Um, and not to mention all the health issues, you know, that who knows what's happening, um, you know, like in two generations from now or whatever, based on these chemicals, because the animal studies are real clear. But with humans, it's still a bit of an experiment. Um, but, I, you know, I forgot the original question, to be honest. No, that's <laughs> OK. No, you're OK, man. Uh, the, the effect, like how is it that estrogen is getting into the wildlife? Is it not only us, you know, transferring estrogenic chemicals into the water, but, but what are some other sources that are affecting our natural environment? Yeah. I mean, well, with just the sunscreen chemical, they put it in the plastics too. Most people don't realize the plastics have certain estrogen chemicals like BPA and phthalates, but they also put that benzophenones in those oxybenzones in there. <clears throat> which are also called benzophenones, just these crazy chemical terms, but just is what it is. But they put them in plastics, like in your that new car smell, that's that sunscreen chemical because um, it's protecting the plastic from being degraded by the sun. Right. So that's a big uh, exposure that eventually ends up in the, you know, in nature, in these ponds and in the oceans. Um, and there's alternatives, you know, all this stuff has alternatives. Like plastic, there's alternatives. There's, there's, estrogen free plastics you can make them but it literally costs like one penny more you know to make like a plastic uh water bottle you know or whatever so uh -huh. people the like consumers will literally just buy the cheaper one and put those companies out of business but um it's changing a little bit i mean the sunscreens it's the same way like there's alternative like zinc is a great alternative zinc sunscreen it works great right um there's no estrogen there um but just going back to the leaching into the environment um you know, I think the plastics are probably the worst offenders, especially with the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, you know, of all the plastics just floating around. I think it's like the size of Texas. Yeah. You know, just out in the ocean of all the plastics that these other countries are dumping into the ocean. And, yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's certain – it was they, they had a news article recently from Colorado. I was actually just out in Colorado giving a talk for the Special Forces. Um. And right after I got home from that talk, they had a news article about they were testing some pristine mountain lakes in Colorado and they're finding plastic in them because it's coming out in the rain. Ugh. Like these plastic chemicals were coming out in the rain. And not that that's a huge exposure, but it's still kind of disconcerting that it's gotten so bad it's in the rainwater somehow, you know? Yeah, now it's now it's part of the natural rain cycle. Right. The water it's crazy. It's everywhere. Right. So, you know, it's it's one of these things. I mean, eventually, the, I mean, the problem is these chemicals are designed not to break down. You know, like atrazine is specifically, it's a herbicide that's designed to, to trick nature, you know, so that the bacteria don't break it down. Plastics are the same way, you know, like, and that's one of the problems with them is our, 
our you know throughout evolution like uh, without with our evolution we've never been exposed to these chemicals our gut bacteria don't know what to do with them you know at least like there's a couple natural ones like the the big like the soy the flax the lavender essential oil those are kind of the three plant estrogens that are major uh, exposures in certain people at least the gut bacteria have seen those you know what i mean yeah so our bodies kind of know how to deal with them to some degree. Some people deal better than others, but and some people have crappy gut bacteria, so it's hard to assume that you've got a good gut bacteria or gut biome. Right. But at least our bodies have seen those, and they make my top ten list. And lavender is one of the most shocking for most people because people that are tuned into the health optimization space oftentimes are diffusing lavender essential oil and things, but there's pretty clear evidence. I mean, they published in the new England journal of medicine that lavender essential hundred percent pure lavender essential oil acts like estrogen, you know, and they show in a bunch of cases with children that get uh, breast development and they start going through into puberty at like nine months old. And then they remove all the lavender from their personal care stuff. And then the, those issues go away immediately. I, I did a post on that on Instagram too. That was just shocking to see like these little children just literally going into puberty, you know, at nine months old. So, well, nine, nine years old, right? No, nine months in this N- case, nine months old, right? Yeah. Um, that's why the doctors that actually work in these fields are, are super, you know, um, keyed into this. Whereas the general public, they're kind of like, well, show me the research. It's like, yeah, there's a couple papers and they've done, they've done them with a couple different companies, hundred percent pure lavender essential oil. It's not the same company. And it's the, and, but a lot of people complain to me about this. It's like, well, but my lavender essential oil company is better, you know? And it's like, yeah, but you know, you can't test every company. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It's like it's one of those things you could say that about every scientific study about anything they've ever done is to say, well, yeah, but that company makes a, a subpar product, so I'm not going to trust that. You know. Do we speaking about you know speak speaking on the the epigenetic effect of of this hormone imbalance, you know, mm-hmm. hor- hormonal system being out of whack because of exposure to to estrogenic chemicals. Mm-hmm. Do we know how how much how much information is out there to indicate that like are are we uh, are are boomers the first um, estrogenic generation mm. or I mean like how, how much how much information is out there about how long this has been going on and how it's passed along or is it just back to that rat study? No, I mean epigenetics wasn't discovered until fairly recently. Um. So, and then they haven't been, you know, and it's been in the last like five years or so that people have started sequencing epigenetics on a large scale. So, you know, there's not enough information. All, which, what we're doing now is, you know, looking at countries like the Philippines or something where they brought estrogen. They didn't have a lot of these estrogen chemicals and because they weren't super industrialized. And then they brought a bunch of them in all at once. So you can see immediate changes there. Um, and in that case, for example, the Philippines, I think they have 500% increased breast cancer since 1980. Um, it's one of the worst in the, in the world. Um, but there's a lot of other industry, like, you know, countries that are being industrialized that where the, the breast cancer rates are skyrocketing just to use that as like a marker of some of the health issues. But yeah, it's, it's tricky because you can also change and improve your epigenetics, right? So like you can, you can eliminate these exposures and your epigenetics will actually start to shift in a positive direction. So it's kind of a transient thing. It's kind of always moving, right? It's a moving target. So you can look at trends and things, but it's a tough thing as new as the field is. I tried to get my epigenetics sequence and it's like, it's literally $20,000 right now. Whoa. Yeah, to do like a full genome sequence with the epigenetics. So you, as you can imagine, <laughs> only researchers are doing it. And I do it at Mayo Clinic. You know, I do epigenetic studies, but um, but it's not something the normal consumer is out there doing. So it's not there's not huge data sets. You know, it's Got hard it. to yeah yeah that makes sense. It's hard to do outside of animal. I mean, and you always kind of start with the the animals because 
again, the problem with people, if I took a sample from the average person off the street of their fat, you know, um, it's going to be full of BPA. It's going to be full of phthalates. It's going to be full of lavender essential oil or whatever the heck. Yeah. It's all this stuff, atrazine. And so you can't find people that aren't exposed. They've tried to do those studies, actually, and they had to go to northern Alaska to some tribe. And But then the problem is those tribes live so differently in every aspect of their life. It's like, well, you know, maybe you're studying something totally unrelated, you know? Right. Um, and then it's it's just then nobody believes the study anyway, so it just adds to the confusion. So the animal studies are real clear, and they've been done. I mean, they're... Like I say, look up Michael Skinner just as one representative scientist. There's a ton of them out there, but in in those studies, it's real obvious. You know, when you when you think about sort of the progression of what are the symptoms beyond the you know breastification of men, you know, man, not a word, not a word, uh, you know, man boobs and um, other sort of symptoms like that, you know, mm-hmm. I think about more like psychological effects and, right. um, anxiety and depression Right? can, is it too far to make a connection there with, uh, no, 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 no. I mean like there's plenty of studies and, and I kind of lay a bunch of them out in my book. I mean, for example, if you're in children with higher levels of BPA in their urine, um, depression skyrockets, you know, and and that's children. And and then in a you know just in birth control users, they've done a study with over a hundred thousand people, and there's much more suicide in birth control users, which could be complicated, right? Because you know that doesn't mean the birth control is the cause; it's an association, but it's still there, you know, and suicide is the ultimate metric of, of depression because a lot of people lie on the test. You know, when, if you do a questionnaire study and you say, are you depressed? People will say no, but they might be, you know, right. So it's a tough field to study, but you know, over in, in India, when they introduced atrazine, this herbicide I was mentioning before that turns the male frogs, females, um, the, the farming community had a, a massive increase in suicides. In fact, it's like, it's it's literally, um, you know, just making head headlines over there because they can't figure it out. You know, they're trying to figure it. They're like blaming alcohol use and stuff, and that hasn't changed at all in the last you know like hundred years or whatever. Uh-huh. And they're just trying to they're scrambling to figure it out. And I'm screaming like it's atrazine. You know, like come on. But again, it's hard to prove because it's just an association, right? Yeah. Is it, it, it do do we know do we know why I mean is it is it because of a, a hormone imbalance or or is it because the the estrogenic properties lead to some other sort of um, a physiological malfunction like is it associated mm. with the gut is it because mm. um, like do we know do we know the direct the direct right. link between those. I don't, and I don't think anybody does, but if I had to guess, the gut is probably linked. I mean, the gut always seems to be linked with, with cases of depression. Right. Um, but also it acts directly on the brain. I mean, there's no question the brain cells have estrogen receptors, so they pick it up. Um, and a good example of that is is in um, in rats, for example, in male rats, if you load them up with estrogen chemicals, their motivation goes way down, and like sexual motivation and all other types of motivation. So there's certain motivation centers in the brain that are kind of shut off when you have these estrogen chemicals. Um, so that's like one example, but you know exactly how that's acting in there, I'm not sure. I just know that they're picking it up. You know, the brain cells do pick it up. Yeah. Does it? Do you have any idea if and <laughs> like I, I, I just hear myself asking these questions that are that are really specific because I'm just curious about it. Oh yeah, yeah, no, but, that's good. But does do you know? Doesn't it have have an effect on cortisol? Does it does it increase mm. levels of cortisol? I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, what about um, 
what about anxiety? Because depression is one thing. And, you know, obviously I think of depression and I th- um, a lot of people in the personal development space and, you know, um, psychology think of, you know, depression is about the past and anxiety, on the other mm-hmm. hand, is about the future. Do we do we know of any, any connections between um, estrogenics and, and anxiety? Yeah, I don't think it's as much. I don't think it's as big of a player there. Like when I do DNA consulting, the main the main gen- genetic issues that are linked to anxiety. Um, now there's a lot of them, but the main two that I see over and over and over are related to serotonin production. And of course, you know, serotonin can be, you know, a massive imp- a player in your gut, but also, you know, if you've got transport issues where you're not transporting it into your brain, you're susceptible to anxiety. And the other class is the adenosine receptor that's activated by caffeine that can be a major player in anxiety. Not a little off topic from estrogens, but it's just relevant because if if people are interested in anxiety, I think those are the, you know, usually when you do your your DNA test, you can learn about those two different, you know, what which aspect you might have a disposition towards, you know? Yeah. And then at least target it in a specific way instead of just guessing. Usually that's just in my experience. Those are the two main. Again, there's there could be a million of them, but those are the big ones. Those are the, like by far ninety plus percent of people that have anxiety have those genetic issues, serotonin or caffeine related. And isn't serotonin made in the gut? Yeah, and in the brain, but yeah, both. So there's some genes that are that cause anxiety because you have less transport of serotonin into the brain. And then some genes that cause anxiety because you have less production of serotonin in the brain, which is two different things, you know? Right. So presumably the one that the gene that is involved in transporting it into the brain means, you know, you need more production in your gut and gut bacteria is more connected to anxiety in those people. Um, I haven't dug deeply into that because generally I just pick out the genes and tell people, Hey, here's where, you know, here's where the issue is coming from. And I don't have a PhD in like every gene. <laughs> I mean, there's 25,000 genes. So, you know, I can only, I can only get so granular on some of them, but sure. it helps. It's, it's still helpful to try and figure out solutions. If you don't know the problem, you can't figure out a solution. Right. 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 Um, let's talk about cannabis. Yeah. Good uh, one. Because, um, it's becoming more popular. Um, CBD products, um, you know, I, my fel- I myself am a, you know, big fan, big fan of cannabis, and I've used it, you know, uh, probably since I was 19 or so. Um, some for some stretches, it was every day, multiple times, and for some stretches, it's every other week. Um, mm-hmm. What's the connection between cannabis and um, and estrogen? Yeah, good question. Um... And that one I almost added when I told you the top plant estrogens. I almost threw cannabis in there, but I didn't because it's a little bit of a rabbit hole. Um, Because the edibles don't act like estrogen. THC does not act like estrogen. CBD does not act like estrogen. But for some reason, when you light it up and smoke it, the smoke acts like estrogen. And if you have genes where you're not good at clearing estrogen, it's an issue, you know. So that's a potential issue for people. And see, you know, and and I think it's it's probably related to some of the mental health issues that certain people are disposed to with cannabis use as teenagers. Um, I've looked heavily into the studies because a lot of people say, well, of course, cannabis increases your risk for schizophrenia, but you know, their evidence is pretty slim, right. except except for heavy users that are teenagers. And again, I've looked hard at the evidence because, like, well, which teenagers, you know? And for the most part. I think it's related to the genes that are involved in clearing the estrogens rather than some specific schizophrenia gene because people have looked really hard on like these these different schizophrenia pathways dopamine and things and they can't find any like real you know real clear connection so I personally think it's related to the estrogen abilities of cannabis smoke so if you have those genes, you know, you want to be careful. Like, for example, if, you, if you're if you really disposed to man boobs or gynecomastia or, or if you've got schizophrenia, that risk that runs in your family, be super careful about smoking marijuana. Just avoid the smoke as a teenager until you're maybe 25, you know. 
that would be my advice. That's it's it's interesting because that you know all of the old myths about you know smoking smoking that herb you're gonna get <laughs> you're gonna get depressed and you're gonna get man boobs and and lose all your you lose all your drive. Um, and there may be something to that now. <laughs> oh yeah. For some people. Yeah, for sure. And infertility, like a lot of teenagers do have fertility issues if they were heavy smokers and they don't have good genes for clearing estrogen. So there's, there's legitimate, but what's really funny, um, now they're writing review articles and, and doing research on CBD as protective against schizophrenia because it's so good for your gut. Hmm. Um, and it's anti-inflammatory. And there's just going back to the genes for a minute. You know, there's a there's a gene called CNR1. It's your cannabinoid receptor gene. And if you've got a problematic variant, if you've got a bad version of that gene, you're more disposed to having a leaky gut, unless you take CBD. Then, like for those people, CBD is phenomenal. It's like a great solution to fixing that gene, in my opinion, because. Um, you know, it it basically decreases inflammation in your gut. And, you know, again, I think that's, that is definitely related to schizophrenia risk as well. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So it's the, it's the lack of presence of a certain gene that allows the clearing out of, of estrogen that may be linked. It's like that, then that guy is, is the one who gets depressed and right. gets man boobs because he yep. was smoking pot at 16, smoking a bunch of pot at 16, but has that gene that where it really just like knocks him out. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a gene called COMT. It's catechol-O-methyltransferase. And if there's a gene that's connected with schizophrenia and cannabis, it's that gene. And that gene is also associated with a bunch of different estrogen-related issues like ovarian cancer and things like that. Um. But it's not it's not that the lack of presence of the gene. We all have the gene. Some people just have a shit version of it. Does that make sense? Like yeah. a crappy version. Right. Um, and some people, most people have a good version. And there's another gene just for people that are super nerds and they're writing down all this and they're taking notes because people will. Yeah. And that's cool. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd myself, so I, I feel for you guys. But <laughs> there's a gene called CYP1B1. And the version is L432V. And CYP1B1, it's a liver enzyme. It's an enzyme in your liver that's involved in clearing artificial estrogens, including these cannabis artificial estrogens. So if you've got a bad version of that, you want to be careful um, because your body's just not going to clear the, the estrogens very well. So that's where you want to take it to the next level and avoiding plastics and avoiding uh, fragrances and stuff with artificial estrogen. Because a lot of these personal care products have these fake estrogen chemicals that um, that are cheap fillers and you know they're full of estrogen chemicals and people are spraying them on their skin which of course is like it's like putting testosterone cream on your skin or something it goes ah. through your skin you know so that's a big source it, it, just because we're on we're on the topic like where what's what are people's best option for getting for doing the genetic testing so they can know whether they have the CYP1B1 liver enzyme. Yep. Um, 23andMe. Just have, you know, if yeah. people do the 23andMe. I mean, obviously I do genetic cons – oh, it's not obvious, I guess, but I do genetic consulting. What does that I mean? Have, what does that mean? Well, so people, they send me their 23andMe data, the raw data file, which is easy to get a hold of from 23 – you don't even have to do the expensive test from 23andMe. You can do the cheapest test they have and they'll give you that file. So even if you just do the ancestry, right, and just find out I'm 20% this and I'm 50% Irish and I'm whatever percent Italian, like even if that's the only test you did, they still give you all, they have all your genetic information and you can send that to me and I'll tell you all about it. You know, I'll tell you about your brain genes and your, I do five categories. I do brain, I do uh, diet, I do detox, I do uh, athletic genes and then I do sleep. Those are the five categories. Mm. And I've co I've coaches and everything because I can't even I have a wait list until 2020, like till New Year's. So I have wow. like a two or three month wait list right now. So I have I've, I've got coaches that also do it um, more affordably because, again, it's so popular now. People have recognized like it's really an important 
tool because your DNA doesn't change, right? Right. Like you've got the same DNA you had as a child. So basically I've done all my kids. I've got four kids and I've done all their DNAs and everything. So now for the rest of their life, they'll know, you know, I've got this gene issue relating to converting beta carotene to retinol. So I want to avoid beta carotene and just take retinol, right? Or whatever. Um, I mean, there's so many different ones you can have. It's Pandora's box, right? It's a sure. big topic. But yeah. Wait, let's, oh, and, and, and yeah. just for the and and uh, and I think part of your question was basically how can the average consumer check, right? And if you don't, you know, if you can't afford to come to me or whatever, I mean, my coaches are around two hundred dollars, which I think is really affordable. But even even so. You can check some of these genes with Promethease. There's a company called Promethease, and it's a weird spelling, and it's hard to find on Google because there's a million other <laughs> things that say Promethease, like movies and stuff. <laughs> um, but it, like, if you somehow search Promethease DNA company or something, you'll find it, and you can literally for 15 bucks you can put your information in there, and it, and then you can search all these genes by name, and it'll pull up the version that you have. So it's a really valuable tool for home users, you know? Interesting. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard of that, Promethease. Yeah, there, it was just bought out by a bigger company because it's becoming such a gigantic blockbuster now. Um, because they have a whole website called Snippedia. It's just like Wikipedia, but it's Snippedia. And it's got like all 25,000 genes on there. And then people like myself or scientists or just average people add information on there, just like Wikipedia. It's like it's it's open source hmm. on gene issues. And it's super cool. And, and that's linked. That Snippedia is is uh, part of the, the Prometheus company, you know. So it's all kind of under the same corporate umbrella. And they do they did a really nice job of you know, giving an average person access to their genetic information and figuring out, okay, what, what version of this gene do I have? What version of that gene do I have? So you can actually go through it yourself. And, and then the most part, most important part for people is, okay, so, so what? I've got CYP1, B1, right. 5, fuck, who right. cares? So who cares? What, exactly. does that, what does that mean? Do, do I need to yeah. smoke a ton of weed or smoke none? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's where I come in. Right? Yeah, I mean, right. that's what I try. I mean, sometimes it's really obvious. Like if you've got a vitamin D receptor issue, you just need more vitamin D, you know? Right. Right. Or like if you've got a genetic disposition to having lower vitamin D, um, or whatever. I mean, there's some of them that are just crystal clear, obvious. And then some of them it's, you kind of have to understand, you know, what happens at the biochemistry at the, yeah, at the level of biochemistry, to really figure it out. You know, like, for example, a lot of people have a lifespan gene issue called Sirtuin. Sirtuin 1, and they have an issue with that gene. S-I-R-T-1 is the abbreviation. And that's the gene that's activated by resveratrol, right? Like the, the supplement people take that's from red wine. Right. The anti-aging supplement. But if you've got a good version of that gene, you don't really need to take resveratrol. But if you've got a bad version of that gene... You want to activate resveratrol. Uh, you want to activate the sirtuin. If you have a bad version of that gene, you want to activate it. You want to help it out a little bit. Resveratrol, this red wine supplement, activates that gene. So it kind of fixes that issue. But you wouldn't probably know that unless you had some biochemistry background, you know. So that's that's where I feel like, you know, I can help people. Because I, I've been doing this since 2010. and And I've thought a lot about these gene issues and how to fix them. And I've talked to hundreds of people about it. Right. I've even thought it would be cool to like, to do, you know, know, like tours where you sit, where just people airdrop their DNA file and then you just sit up on stage and talk live with people and have audiences and talk, talk DNA in person, you know, and just bounce ideas. I think it would be a cool thing, but you know, hopefully that, that eventually happens. It's not, major priority but i think it would be awesome i think that would be cool too because if you know if you have a room of a thousand people and i'm obviously yeah. i'm aiming high if you have a room of a thousand people and you know 25 percent of them have you right, know 23 and me or whatever 20, yeah. well if they have it all if they have it all done they have it in front of them and they know that you know they've got certain genes that you're talking about then one big giant part of that group will be served with more information Right, That's exactly, cool and, and 
Yeah, and I've got my own custom software. Like I wrote my own software for this, so I can literally spit out these code, like these, you know, I can identify the gene issues in these categories real quick. So I can, you know, people could shoot me their DNA right there on the spot. I can pull it up and it'd be fun. It'd be kind of like the Kill Tony for comedians, except the, the health version of that for like health nuts. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Genetic improv. <laughs> what would be the best is get like somebody like Theo Vaughn or somebody to partner with me who's yeah. actually a funny comedian and then have it both best of both worlds. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Have some jokes, have some DNA. Yeah, so listen, <laughs> you got what they call, uh, what they call, <laughs> uh, penis disorder. <laughs> you got the bitch titty gene. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> there's so many, there's so much potential for humor there. There you know, is. Which, of course, I never can tap into, but well, everyone's like when I do my brother's DNA or whatever, then, then there's always the temptation. <laughs> <laughs> you got the slower, fatter, yeah, more right. annoying. <laughs> Gene, yep. uh, since we're on the topic, well, a little levity feels good, man. Uh, uh, because because uh, toxic plastic and estrogenic, you know, right. proliferation dark. is dark shit. Right. Um, while we're talking about genetics, um, do you know? Do you think much or work much uh, or think about the MTHFR gene and oh, yeah. and and how? I mean, it's getting a lot of it's getting a lot of more love, and and I've just come across it. What what can you tell us about that? Since we're talking about genes, oh yeah, I mean, I talk about that almost every day with people. <coughs> Excuse me, um, it's a big one. I mean, m- almost every woman woman that comes to me that has m- multiple miscarriages and just really struggles in that department, they have the M- MTHFR, like a bad version of that gene, um, and the reason that's an issue. And, and by the way, it's also a lot of people that sleep poorly have that issue and a lot of people that have depression have that issue, interestingly enough, because sleep and depression are, of course, connected. So if you're sleeping like two hours a night, you know, for a year, you're going to start to have some major depression issues more often than not. But um, it's, you know, MTHFR, the, the worst version is the C677T version. Again, and for those people that are sitting there with their pens and pencils. <laughs> Um, and there's another version called 1298C and there's a couple other ones that I check. There's like four or five of them. And, but those, the C677T is the worst. And, and, uh, the reason it's an issue is because folic acid is fake. You know, it used to be patented, it's made in a lab and, and it's not found in nature. So, uh, when you, when you take a folic acid and what does the doctors tell you when you become pregnant, they say, take folic acid, right? Make sure you're taking folic acid. Right. The problem is people with that gene issue, they don't convert the fake folic acid to methylfolate very well. Um, There's literally like an 80% reduced conversion of that fake version. So the folic acid just sits in your body. You're not able to use it because you're not converting it to methylfolate. Methylfolate's important because it's involved in making new DNA. It's like a building block for DNA. So as you can imagine, like a fetus needs lots of new DNA. They're growing super fast, right? Yeah. There's a huge demand for DNA. And if you don't have anything to make the DNA with, you're kind of screwed. So, you know, um, and sleep, of course, when you're sleeping, you're regenerating. A lot of new cells are turning over. You know, you're getting rid of junk and old cells and things. So you need a lot of new DNA when you're sleeping. And that's where the sleep issues come in. Like if you look up Amazon.com and you look up 5-MTHF, which is just another way of saying methylfolate without spelling it. Uh Uh-huh. Just those four or five letters, 5-M-T-H-F. Um, if you look up that supplement, you'll find like thousands of positive reviews and people will say, this totally cured my sleep issues, you know, just on and on. And you see it over and over and over. And, or my depression went away or I feel so much better, whatever. Um, and so, you know, the problem, a lot of doctors, when they find that genetic issue, they'll say, well, you have this issue converting this fake folic acid to methylfolate. So take lots of folic acid. You know, that's what they tell people. Um, the problem with that is it just plugs up your system like folic acid because you're not using it. Even if you're getting methylfolate, which is found in leafy greens, even if you're eating leafy greens and getting the methylfolate, your body is so plugged up. The receptors are so plugged up with this fake stuff, this folic acid. You can't even get the good stuff into your body, you know, because it's because it's not so it converting causes, effectively. Right. So so basically, 
you know, you have to, number one, avoid folic acid, and then number two, make sure you're getting 5-MTHF or folic acid, or methylfolate, excuse me. And sometimes people are a little bit ambiguous about this. They just use the word folate. Um, so, like, you know, folate is a class. You know, it's like saying car, you know, or it's like saying automobile or something. It's like, well, is it a truck? Is it a car? Is it, a, you know, like an automobile is a big category. Folate is a big category. It might mean methylfolate, but it also might mean folic acid. You know what I mean? If you see folate on a label, it could mean tetrahydrofolate. You know, it could mean a number of things. It could be a Toyota. It could be a Chevy. It could be a Honda. You know what I mean? Like, and you just want the, the methylfolate, you know? So that's why when I tell people that have that gene issue, when I tell them to look up supplements, I just say type in 5-MTHF and get that one because that's not ambiguous at all. That's real precise. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I, we're jumping around, but just because you're this wealth of information and I know that you're, <laughs> you, you must have some crazy – genes for your memory because the, the, the detail <laughs> I, I, I just get paid to sit around and do this <laughs> stuff all day so it's just my nice just privileged <laughs> <laughs> that's good too that works that works just the same i'm an academic <laughs> yeah right you ought to know your shit yeah so then you know you've got kids i've got kids and and we're constantly working to to protect them from from exposure to estrogenic substances right. you know what what for parents do you think is are some of the more important things to consider when when shielding their kids from from exposure to estrogenic chemicals yeah i mean first of all silicone is good silicone is your friend okay like 100 percent pure silicone is fine so like the pacifiers and all that stuff just make sure they're not plastic you know plastic is the enemy silicone is fine um so you know you can find like sippy cups and stuff that are made with stainless steel so they don't break the kids don't break them uh-huh with silicone nipples or whatever, you can find all that stuff. It's all out there. And I have like a what I use page on my consulting company website, like on AJ Consulting Company, ajconsultingcompany.com. I have a page called what I use and I just show people, hey, this is not an exhaustive research. I don't have sponsorships or anything like that. But, you know, here's the here's the sippy cup I use and here's the this and here's the that, right? I have all the different things. Yeah. Like here's the soap, here's the deodorant, here's the laundry Laundry detergent's a big one, I think, with kids too, because like when we go to our in-laws' place, they have this just this conventional brand name laundry detergent, and yeah. and in our clothes, I mean, I use Fragrance Free by Seventh Generation, it's phenomenal stuff, um, and so I don't have any fragrance in my clothes. My kids don't have any fragrance, and when we go to the in-laws, we wash our clothes sometimes, and then we come back, and that fragrance, it literally takes like two or three more cycles of fragrance-free washing to get rid of that crazy fragrance that came from our in-laws detergent. Yeah. It's a big one, and they've done studies on like leaching from the clothing into the skin. You know, I've done YouTube videos on it. It gets down into the weeds, but it's a problem. It leaches. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a Netflix um Yeah, film. stink. Yeah, yeah, stink. Right. Just yeah. crazy stuff. Hundred percent. People should watch Stink if they if they're uh, skeptical, you know, about this, and they don't really think there's an issue. Um, and that that guy, by the way, he's he has my book and stuff, and we've been in communication. Um, he's in New York City, but um, the clothing to the detergent, the fragrance stuff, um, the plastics. If you get those out and you're filtering your water, I mean, you're just crushing it. And avoid soy, right? I mean, that should be kind of the like a found a fundamental thing, but some people, I mean, it's crazy. They're buying like these soy formulas and things. So, you know, I have to say it, I got to say avoid soy. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge thing. I, I don't know that everybody knows that. I don't think that, I don't think people are super clear that soy is highly estrogenic, but it is right. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's so estrogenic that they've looked at, they've investigated it as a postmenopausal therapy. Like, Oh, let's give these women isoflavones from soy so that we can bring their estrogen back up, you know? The problem is it causes increased risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer and stuff. So it's not the best idea. Um, 
But there's some, you know, but that's a bit of a rabbit hole because when you're when soy is broken down in your gut, if you have good gut bacteria, some of those byproducts it can be beneficial. You know what I mean? So it can kind of disrupt some of the research. So sometimes studies find benefits from it. And sometimes they find problems from it. But the actual estrogen part of it is problematic, especially for kids. So, yeah, I would I tell people to avoid soy. What about uh, what about corn? Yeah, I mean, I I I go way out of my way to find organic corn. That's the main thing. I do eat corn myself. I I'll eat corn chips and stuff, but I only get them organic because the regular corn is sprayed with atrazine more often than not. Mm. Um, so that's a good question, and it's a good issue. I mean, it's a good issue to be aware of. And the grains in general have a lot of these these estrogens on them, so. Be careful if you're doing if you're doing the grain thing, any kind of grain. Make sure it's organic, you know, corn for sure. So it's not it's not the it's not that the actual gluten or that the actual corn is estrogenic per se. It's that they're that it's the the stuff spray. they put on it, right? Yep, and mold too. Like mold and can mold. secrete estrogens. Yeah, and gluten is is inflammatory in virtually everybody. It's just like how much inflammation can your body take? Inflammation is not always bad. It's just when you have too much of it. So like. Gluten is a separate issue for some people, um, but it's definitely not estrogenic. Yeah. So, what about uh, is glyphosate estrogenic? Yeah, especially in combination with soy. Like they found those those two together are super estrogenic. It like Eey. amplifies. Eey. And I, I didn't include that in my book because at the time I wrote it, it wasn't super clear. But now it's like very clear. So it's unfortunate that I don't have that that particular one in my book. Well, but there's other problems with the with glyphosate, yeah. anyways, right? It's the number one used uh, antibiotic in the in the world. You know, yeah. it kills good, good gut bacteria. It kills, you know, kills important bacteria. Yeah, and I th- I think I think by now people know that glyphosate is Roundup, which is just everywhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right. Um. So when it comes to – so it sounds like atrazine is a big problem for like the consumable estrogenic compounds. Is there is there a way to eat? What do you suggest is a is a good way to approach – I mean what, what should people be eating? Are you cool? Are you cool with keto? Are you cool with carnivore? Are you oh, cool yeah. with paleo? Oh, yeah. All that's fine? Yeah. I mean in, like obviously I have a bias for people to check their genetics you know, and, and figure out what works best for them because some people – they can pull off being a vegan, you know. I don't think it's optimal, but they can. Every once in a while, I find somebody who can pull it off, and that is rare. I don't think it's very common. But but I think carnivore is also pretty extreme, and I don't think most people should do it because there are certain genes that, you know, you want some of these plant compounds to trigger to improve your genetics, you know, to help you. Um, and for keto, you know, like. I mean, keto is interesting because it almost works for everybody. I think a lot of this idea that like, oh, you you don't your body doesn't do well with saturated fats. I think that's basically a myth. Right. Um, like I've looked at those studies, I've looked at those genes, and I don't I don't buy it at all. But but that's you know, but I don't think people should do keto indefinitely unless they have like a real addiction to sugar or something like that. It's almost like being an alcoholic, you know, if you can't can't touch a drink, that's a little different situation, right? Right. And there's definitely there's definitely people in that situation and I'm a huge fan of keto. I do it personally, like I cycle it though, I just don't do it all the time, right? But I think you have to to really dial in your diet, you have to have your DNA done just to like a good example right like there's some people i strongly encourage to be carnivore like super strict carnivore and avoid plants because there's a gene called abc5 and abc9 i think i'm literally gonna google it quick abc because <laughs> i think it might be abcg5 yeah it's abcg5 and abcg8 or abcg9 so um yeah, steer, yeah, exactly. ABCG5. I just double checked it. Um, and that gene, uh, it basically, if you've got an issue with that gene or both of those genes, ABC, the five and the eight, ABCG5, ABCG8, um, your body is poorly 
you know, so first of all, plants have cholesterol. They have a different type of cholesterol than we have because they're plants, right? They have a lot of different stuff than than we have, right? They have <laughs> yeah. freaking chloroplasts and chlorophyll and all this green crap. And so they've got a different kind of cholesterol. It's called cytosterol, like S-I-T-O, cyto, and then sterol. Just basically means plant cholesterol. It's just a fancy way the scientists sound smart by saying plant <laughs> cholesterol. And then you've got your LDL and your HDL and all that crap going on, right? Like the human cholesterol, right? Right. And um, some people have these gene issues where they cannot clear those plant cholesterols very well. So they basically have their blood is just chock full of these plant cholesterols. And cholesterol is not that bad for you. You know, people way over-exaggerate the cholesterol thing. But if it's super, super high, it's a problem. Like there's a genetic issue where people can get familial hypercholesterolemia, which just means like your your actual human cholesterol is super high. And by like age 20, a lot of those people get heart attacks and die, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because their cholesterol is just like off the charts high. It's crazy, crazy high. So it can, there's a time and place, you know, like for statins, although it's very rare. Um, if you've got these extreme gene issues, the cholesterol itself can become inflammatory because you've got so much of it in your blood. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. So it reacts with the oxygen and then it starts reacting with your blood, your arteries and stuff. But the crazy thing is plant cholesterol can do the same thing and no no doctor checks it. Like how, how often do you go to your doctor and, and they're like, we got to check your cytosterols. We gotta yeah. check your LDL, your HDL, and your cytosterols. It's right. like, no, they never check. Like, never in the history of doctors will you hear that, you know? Right. Um, in in like a normal patient visit, but there's plenty of people I come across that have a gene issue clearing those cytosterols. And in other words, plant cholesterols build up in their body and actually cause plaque. So they need to just straight up avoid plants or like really, really, really minimize plants because their body can't deal with the plant cholesterols. That's so the, they, that, in that case, carnivore is freaking amazing. I've never know? heard that before. I, I had I had no idea that was a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like I say, I definitely run into people. It's not common, but, you know, I, I, I get them. And I, like I say, I'm the first one to say you got to go carnivore. And it's a lifesaver. And they know it. Like, they'll notice the difference, you know. You can look up, like, cytosterolemia and stuff in these patients that have it. And... You know, going carnivore is just, oh, it's amazing for those people. It's It sure is gaining in popularity, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it It's becoming it's becoming more and more common. And, and of course, I'm in a bubble because I run, you know, I host the Optimal Performance Podcast and have right. these right. sorts of people, you know, yeah. l- like, like yourself who are specialists in, in nutrition and genetics and, yeah. uh, and so forth. But there are so many, there are so many stories. And I think that right. the the person that's in the middle, that's like, seriously, no vegetables? I don't know about that. <laughs> right. Um, I, I actually did a, a study um, where I, I tried to do a carnivore diet study. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I, you know, I put together a study where I asked people participants you know to do the carnivore diet and things i got i got 10 people to participate which doesn't sound like a lot but it's enough to kind of get a get something going and then hopefully get some funding from the government to pursue it more and my my idea was basically let's get your blood work done your telomeres tested and then and then do it 30 days and then do another blood work and telomere test because telomere length telomere Length is associated with longevity. If you have longer telomeres, you have longer lifespan usually, right? Right. And and if people don't know what telomeres are, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But basically, I was checking it because I assumed that going carnivore would probably impact it in a positive way. But you never know. Let's find out, right? Um, because red meat definitely increases your telomeres. There's been studies that show that. Whereas processed meats, of course, are the opposite. They're bad for you. But just straight meat it appears to lengthen your lifespan via your telomeres. Um, but I wanted to get a good study. So I, I talked to Sean Baker about it and you know, I've eaten dinner with him and stuff. He's a friend and he said, I got to go 90 days, like 30 days. People are still kind of on the detox phase or whatever. Let's go out to 90. So I changed ah. the study. Yep. And, but the, the thing about my study, it was very, very strict. It was set up to basically say, look, 
there's no cheating. If you cheat, drop out of the study, right? Like if you eat a vegetable, drop out. I don't want I want people I don't want to say people were carnivore for 90 days and then have all these confounding variables like, oh, this guy's blood worked totally different or this one's different in this regard or whatever. Um, the only thing I allowed was coffee. If people already drank coffee, then they could keep drinking coffee and then they could have water and salt and and meat. And that was it. And organ meat all kinds of meat but it had to be and the problem was literally every single person in the study dropped out after however much time so i don't think it's a very sustainable diet oh, even for people oh, even man. for people that are pretty motivated these aren't like the super motivated people like sean baker is or the you know the the uh well you know i mean like the the, the real paul, famous paul saladino. paul saladino yeah exactly that's what i was saying. you know like those kind of people like chris bell like they're not the average person isn't that type of discipline. Yeah, right. And so I think most people that say they're carnivore are actually eating some vegetables here and there. I don't think this is a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, like <laughs> a lot of people are saying they're carnivore and I don't think they are based on my experience trying to put this study together. Right. Yeah. I did it in January mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 hard. It's Exactly. It's, Super hard. It's yeah. hard to stick to it. I mean, you you kind of do want to have a bite of celery, you know, two weeks in. You know, like, right. Right. Uh, I don't. You know, that's that's a factor when you're thinking about what an optimal diet is for somebody. It's like, do I need to go that extreme? You know, like, yes, if you're going to get plant plant cholesterols building up in your body and just destroying your arteries, then yeah. sometimes sometimes there's a time and place. Yeah. But then right. other times. And especially for those people that have no idea that's the root cause of their artery plaque, you know, like then it's a lifesaver, right? Because the doctors will never quite figure out the root cause. They'll give you freaking statins and all this stuff and they'll be like, oh, your your human cholesterol is amazingly low and, and you're still getting all these plaques, you know, or whatever. So it's 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 a key thing to figure out, hey, this is the root cause in this case. Sometimes it's iron, you know, sometimes people have genes related to high iron. Some people have lectin genes, you know, like Stephen Gundry's book, Plant Paradox, right. and that causes plaque in their arteries. And some people have got sugar-related, like sugar-related genes that cause their blood cells to be stickier and, you know, if they're eating a lot of carbs, and then that gives them whatever. There's like a dozen categories of heart disease, you know, based on your genetics. So just guessing is not a great solution. Yeah, yeah. Case in case in point, get your know what's going on in your genes. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, especially for something as extreme as a pure carnivore diet, where it's like I'm not going to cheat. I'm just going to do carnivore. It's like okay, like <laughs> that's. Ext- but I don't know if I'd push that on the general population. It's too extreme. Yeah, it's it's too it's too extreme. It, it makes blows blows minds. Yeah. Um, right. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's good for a lot of people. I love it. I think, I think that the, I think the general idea is just stay open, like just right. like ha- be flexible, you know, don't pretend like you have all the answers. Don't be, you can't right. be an expert, expert on everything. No, nope. follow the data and then make smart choices, you know, like hundred percent. Yeah. And be willing to change your mind. Right. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I've changed my mind plenty of times, you know, and I'm happy to do so. If somebody shows me that BPA is healthy, I'm probably not going <laughs> to believe it because there's, there's literally like 12,000 studies that show it's bad. But, you know, at least I'll be open to certain angles and <laughs> changing my mind on certain things. Yeah, right? you, I mean, you, you have to. I think you, went with a, you went with a bold example a bad, there. A bad, bad example. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we were wrong this whole time. BPA. Yeah, right. Ugh. Whoa. <laughs> well, um, this has been a fantastic and fascinating um, conversation. Before I before I ask my my last question, which is a fill in the blank, um, I wonder if you uh, please tell tell people where they can find you. Your Instagram is fantastic; it's so informational. W- where can people find you? Get a hold of you and uh, learn more. Yeah, thanks. I mean, Anthony GJ is my Instagram uh, username or whatever it's called. And then my AJ, my website, my main website is ajconsultingcompany.com, which is a terrible URL name, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, came up with it like literally in 2010 and, and I can't really change it now, unfortunately. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You're doing fine. <laughs> 
All right. Well, um, what I like to do with, with each of my guests is ask this final question, which is a fill in the blank. And, and it's based on mm. – doesn't necessarily have to be specific to um, estrogenics, but based on what you know. And, and feel free to elaborate as much as you'd like. Um, so feel, please fill in the blank. Um, everyone would benefit from knowing – Oh, <laughs> um, everyone would benefit from knowing. Oh, well, I feel like people already know that sugar is bad or carbs, you know, high carb diets are bad. But man, I don't know if everybody knows that or not. But in, in relation to the estrogen, I would say everyone would benefit from knowing that um, plastics are bad for your health. Yeah. Start there. Start yeah, there. a lot of people don't know that. You know, that it's a lot of people. To be honest, it's crazy, but a lot of people don't have any idea about that. And sugar too. I mean, sugar is probably even worse. You know, in the immediate time, you know, if you're doing a lot of carbs, it's going to be worse for you quicker. <laughs> right. So I'm kind of torn in a couple different directions here. There's a lot of ways you could take it. Yeah, and my brain is like going off like a fire hose, and I'm trying to like figure out <laughs> I, which I, I, one. But anyways, no, I think that's. I think if you, I think if you do those two <laughs> things, if you cut right. out sugar and cut out plastic, you're going to live longer and be happier and healthier for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great talking to you, Sean. Thanks for thanks for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Anytime.